card. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel. Am I ready, Roman? Welcome to the Readier Room, not to be confused with from there to here. This is the only TNG rewatch podcast with actual onset stories and insights from those who are there to make this magical show that we all love. My name is Mitchell Mells, Chief Consultant of Services at Paramount, and with me is my life partner, Brandon Hobbs, Head of Resources Management. Brandon, it's week four. We're back. Still here. How you doing? Doing great, Mitch. Very excited to talk about this episode. Yeah? What's got you so excited about it? Oh, you, you just just how great it was. Well, really, the, the quality of these episodes just keeps getting better and better. It's a straight incline. It's just a slope. It's like Mount Everest, how high it gets and how consistently it, I, it gets I'd say it's even high. exponential. Oh my really. god. Yeah, I, I like the enthusiasm there. And um, it's certainly certainly felt on my side as well. Now, for those of you keeping score at home, or anybody who, uh, you know, might have a little difficulty counting and needs to be reminded, this is episode four, The Last Outpost, season one, The Next Generation. And uh, while this would not be the last outpost ever seen in the show, it was still a pretty good episode. And um, this episode is notable for many people because this is the first time in Star Trek, period, that we see the Ferengi, the race of Ferengi. And yes. um, the original series had a lot of contributions to the Star Trek lore. You know, it, it made things like the Klingons, um, some other races that became really associated with Star Trek. But really, TNG up until this point had nothing like that. Like it had Q, which was just um, a guy. It had the... Um, that race of Africans in, in episode which three, black guys. which was just black guys. So they hadn't really put their mark on the Star Trek franchise, not yet. And what we wanted to do was, you know, introduce a new race that like looked very distinct. And our answer to that was the Ferengi. And I think the Ferengi are a valuable addition to, to Star Trek canon in general, but yeah, definitely. The Ferengi that we got are actually not what they were originally conceived to be, which um, was always very interesting to me, like where they started and where they ended. Because like at the end of right. this, the Ferengi are like, you see the finished product, you see this episode, they're like a villain race, they're snarling and uh, backwards culturally, and they're not at all depicted heroically. But... The way that they were originally envisioned by Gene was that they would be almost like a like a partner race to the Federation. Like they would encounter the Federation and then ultimately begin the stages of joining them. And the idea was mm. that we could see um, the development after First Contact. Because there's a lot of Star Trek stories like, oh, First Contact, Prime Directive, whatever. But there's not a lot covering species as they join the federation and as they yeah uh, you don't get to see that development exactly exactly so but you, you know when you're thinking about it you can't have like this this caveman snarling evil race join the federation that's not going to work indeed um when gene was conceiving the ferengi he made them kind of in his image in a lot of ways um mm -hmm. he gave them a lot of like his values and his morals in ways that he really couldn't do with the Federation itself because, you know, market testing, focus testing and all that, they had to make it palatable to a wide audience. But because the Ferengi weren't the main characters, Gene had a lot more leeway with them. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, like, we didn't end up really taking that. And uh, it's it's not so good because Gene was very, very disappointed that his vision didn't see it all the way through. But there were some remnants of what Gene wanted left in the final iteration of the species. So, for example, um, the Frankie, they, they react very negatively to seeing the clothed female Federation officers. Um, mm -hmm. And that kind of attitude was much more pronounced in the original design documents that Gene had drafted up. And I guess they left it in as kind of like, like a nod to him. 
uh, you know, this is your baby, Frankie. We're sorry that we changed it, but we'll leave this in for you. And yeah, it was pretty good, but there was a lot more that Gene had to let go. And he, anytime right. there's a Ferengi episode, he always just kind of hung around the back of the, of the studio, just sulking a little bit, probably thinking about the road not traveled. Yeah, and it's it's definitely sad to know those things that we had to let go. But, yeah, uh, I think I think they did end up being you know enough of a realized race in and unto, unto, unto themselves. So they did. It, it, it ended up working out in its own way. You say Ferengi, and any Star Trek fan is going to have a bunch of images pop into their mind. Like, they're very distinct, you know? Um, right. Yeah, absolutely. And this is the episode where we first get to know them. You know, they, one of them pops on the screen, and he's, you know, using bad grammar and saying things like human. And it's, right, right. It's, it's kind of silly to, to a degree, but, you know. Somehow it works. Somehow. Somehow it works. Somehow it works. So th- that's the so, thrust of this episode. You know, the, the the crew, the Enterprise, they meet this Ferengi ship. There's a problem that both of them have, and these two cultures kind of have to interact with each other to, to get out of it. Right. Classic. Classic. So why don't we take this chronologically and, uh, I guess, start at the beginning, right? Right. So, so where do we start? What's the beginning? Well, I mean, the beginning is uh, the uh, the the Federation, the Enterprise, runs into a Ferengi ship orbiting a planet. Um, Do you remember the name of the oh, planet? Uh, no. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> <laughs> um, and. Uh, well, well, what happens? So, so the the Ferengi ship turns to face the Enterprise, and there's there's a bit of a miscommunication, right? The Enterprise right. thinks they're being attacked. Yeah, like someone's scanning the the Enterprise's computers. Um, the Ferengi, like they turn to face them, and everybody's preparing their weapons. There's like this big flash of light, and nobody really knows what's going on. Communications are right. like hampered. Right. So one of the things that What's interesting about this episode is that they seem to know who the Ferengi are, but to what degree they know this is not really explained too well. No, they're right? the, the the setup is that they're like under orders to. I don't know if it's pursue or observe the Ferengi, but they're like chasing this ship by orders of the Federation, and it's not really clear what their mission is for um, an exploratory friendly organization like the federation right oh go after that car like what what are you doing yeah it's so one of the one of one of the big themes of this episode or or one that i mean was lazily introduced and then dropped unceremoniously i think is um i guess i guess capitalism yeah right that yeah, because yes, because the Ferengi are noted for being traitors, right? Like right. that's the so, one thing the Federation knows about them. That's the one thing they know <laughs> about them, right? Yeah, which is which is an odd thing to know about an alien species that you've never really had contact with, right? You would think somebody or a race noted for doing a lot of deals would be quite easy. To, to stumble upon or get in contact with you would, you would think so yeah you, you'd think you'd think they'd kind of you know cast cast a wide net throughout the, the universe yeah um but apparently not um but you know speaking of the capitalism oh, right no. a this. lot of viewers as, as i'm sure you'll remember a lot of viewers uh took umbrage with with the the script calling out capitalism yeah and, and the, the United States specifically, right? So, right. Because, you I know, mean, Data you has remember. this, like, red, white, and blue kind of thing going yes, on. Yes, yes, yes. And, and you'll, you will remember, I'm sure, that we had our own little red scare in the mailroom at Paramount, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, it lasted for so months many, after this aired. So many letters. So many letters. You know, the director's a commie. Patrick Stewart hates America. <laughs> black bald brim it got so ridiculous one. they just it like got ridiculous there must have been part of a campaign because so many of the letters said the same exact things like 
Like right, the, the right. Black Ball Brent stuff was just scrawled in marker, like across a big piece of paper, and so many people <laughs> sent that exact thing in. It was it was coordinated, and it was funny. And that's, that's the funny thing. You yeah, could yeah, you could ahead. tell when this episode came up in syndication because another wave of letters would come in. Yes. Yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. No, we were dealing with the effects of this for for years, but I think it's funny because to me, I don't think that theme is like super pronounced. No, it's not in the episode. But the fans actually weren't as off base as they usually were with this one. It's it's really odd how how they were able to to kind of draw this theme out of the episode. Um, because the the writer of this episode, Richard Trezemian, mm. uh, he was actually dipping his toes into communist theory at the time. Oh my god, I forgot about this. And right, you, you'd see him, you know, in the writers' room during breaks, just reading the communist manifesto, and. I guess this episode is his treatment of the Ferengi was was supposed to be his own personal takedown of the capitalist system, and uh, he was really proud of it. He, he he was very proud of this episode. Yeah, whenever a Ferengi like treatment would come up in the writers' room, he he would always just like drop what he's doing. Oh, let me write it. Let me write it. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It it kind of became like a like a one hit wonder kind of thing. It's like, all right, all right mm-hmm. you go write your Ferengi story, whatever. But yeah, they, he was always chasing the high of uh, always of what he got here. Yeah, yeah. But uh, weird, weird stuff. Like I, I get thematically how it works, but just Data talking about the red, white, and blue, and then Picard responding like, "Oh, the blue, white, red French flag." It's like, yeah. Uh, again, we're treated to. Throughout this episode, not only clumsily written data lines, but Picard's weird fascination with his heritage. Yeah, and it's amazing to me because his name is you know Jean Luc Picard. They might as well named him Pierre Baguette if he's going to be this fascinated with <laughs> with his French heritage. <laughs> yeah, it's it's just a I don't know. It's it's a really bizarre kind of quaint little look back at what the writers had planned for this character that right. just never really panned out. It's, you know, that happens with a lot of season ones of various series. It's um, kind of like this blueprint, this layout of where they expect the show to go, and best mm-hmm. laid plans it never goes that way. But it it's amazing because if the writers had had their way, and this was the show had panned out as they envisioned it, it would have been awful. You know, you it would have been terrible. You would have had every episode of you know Picard singing. Uh, various Les Mis songs while Data struggles with using an elevator or whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and every every line of Data dialogue has to make a point of of him using some kind of colloquialism. Right. What was it in this one? And and then every everyone around him just staring at him, slack jawed. Right. Yeah. I can't remember what the one. There was something was. to write home about. Or was that the last one? Something to write home about. There was another one though. There I think like it was. I think at first it was like nothing to write home about, and then he's like, "Oh, it's something to write home about," which uh, is weird. Okay. Because when he says something to write home about, Jordy's like, "Oh, data. That's very human." But nobody says something to write home about. It. People only say nothing to write home about. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. It's like they desperately needed him to like show some kind of progress, but they couldn't think of a phrase that actually had an. Uh, commonly used oh, opposite they've, they've been desperate for a few episodes now yeah sir it's nothing to write home about did i use that correctly so <laughs> anyway um the ferengi ship faces to turn to turn to the enterprise and right. uh there's there's some kind of misunderstanding right their their energy is being sucked out yeah yeah, Somehow. and it turns out that both ships are, but the, the the Enterprise doesn't know that the Ferengi are also falling prey to this at the, at the beginning. Right. <laughs> and so, Picard calls uh, calls the Ferengi captain on Skype. <laughs> um, and he's got his Zoom background behind him. You know, he's got a black. <laughs> and you pointed this out when we were watching the episode. There's. No background, right? There's it's no just white. For the it's ship. Just white. There's, which is really, 
really concerning because I don't think that ever happens again with any species ever. No. Like, I mean usually usually they construct a cockpit of some kind. They do. And you or know, a bridge maybe, of some kind. Maybe they'll reuse one now and again, but yeah, there was just no time to get it together when when we were making this episode, but it's funny because like that slap hazard kind of feel to it is exactly how the the design of the ship itself came together, the Ferengi ship. Um, oh, is that right? Yeah. See, like talking to fans, a lot of people think that uh, whenever we have to design something, that our artists and designers are just spending hours pouring their blood, sweat, and tears, like making models and sketches and all this stuff. But in cases like this, and it happens more often than you think, it's not that labor-intensive of a process. So people note the distinctive shape and look of this ship, and that's all. It's all due to Gene. Like, one day he comes in the office and he keeps talking about his favorite cephalopod, the humble horseshoe crab, he would say. Um, oh. And it went on. Like, 20 minutes of horseshoe crab facts. And nobody knew where he was going with it, but at the end of the conversation, more of a monologue, he's like, alright, some race in TNG has got to have a spaceship that looks like these guys. They're just so cute. And, uh, you know, he went to the artist, told him that. Next day they whipped up the most bare-bones, basic, horseshoe-crab-like design of the spaceship, and we had it ready to go for a special effects team in the next week. That's absolutely genius. It, Yeah, it's and pure you genius. Can tell, you can tell. You can tell. It, it, it comes through very, very distinctly in right. the ship's design when you watch the episode. Yeah, you get that kind of, you know, crab feel to it. But I think that yeah. that's part of why on the communication screen that there's no cockpit when you're seeing it, because, like, Nobody really put any thought into this ship, like, on a on a structural level. It's like, what does the inside look mm. like? I don't know. It's a horseshoe crab. <laughs> so, and when it came time to shoot... So we, we were left with, with a white, yeah. white background. Then. Nobody had solved that, had cracked that nut, so it's just a white background, and hope nobody notices. Right. right. When, you're early, yeah, um... when you're early on in the series, and you we haven't seen a lot of alien spaceships yet... People might think, oh, this is the standard, it's not a big problem. Mm -hmm. But if we had pulled this, Season 7, Season 6, wouldn't have heard the end of it. Oh, oh, definitely, definitely. But anyway, so they, uh, the two the two ships are communing, flash a light, communications issue. Also, also very weird that, that uh, the Ferengi captain is, like, extremely zoomed in. Yes, yes. Whenever you see, like, them communicating with another ship, it's, uh, you see, like, the the whole view of the bridge, right? Yeah, it's very static, too. Right, whereas right? this is, it's, it's almost like a dream sequence, man. the way the Ferengi guy is shot. You know, he's in this white background with harsh lighting, and everything's kind of fuzzy. Um, it's just very strange to look at. And I recommend anybody yeah. go watch that scene and just focus on the communication screen, because it's so weird. And, um, it's very unsettling. It is, and it's only further. Okay, so I I got to talk about this. I hate this. I hate this. It's only further exacerbated by the way the Ferengi talk. Um, and I ranted. <laughs> yeah. I ranted about this when we were watching it because it's so stupid. So yeah. in lore yeah. of Star Trek, there's like a uh, a translation device that everybody has that's kind of like embedded in them and it allows them to speak their language somebody else speaks their language and the device translates for everybody and that's how communication between all these disparate species works but mm. when we meet the ferengi here they're just using like terrible english grammar like 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 cavemen you know like uh like why why you break ship or whatever he's like picard captain instead of captain picard <laughs> and it just doesn't make any sense because it's not their second language that they're speaking. It's not like they're attempting to to speak English. They should be speaking Ferengi ease, you know, whatever whatever their language is. Um, right. And it's so annoying. And the worst part, I, I mentioned this before, when they say human and the the subtitles for Netflix put a hyphen between H U and M A N. <laughs> you ever see the Tapestry episode? You ever watch that one? You're going to have to remind me. It's the one where Picard dies and, like, Q sends him back in time. Like, it's a wonderful life. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know the aliens that, like, stab Picard that he gets in a fight with when he's, uh... Like, I vaguely remember. 
Well, they're like these big hulking warrior idiots, and they do the exact same thing. They they come mm-hmm. up and they're like, "Oh, play dumb jot human," and uh, <laughs> it's it's so stupid. And they're like, it's like a big rubber mask. They look ridiculous. It's a good episode, but I, I hate those guys. Right. And well, um, so like that, that's that's always been that's always been an issue with Star Trek in general and this Universal Translator thing is that you you have to work just a little bit to suspend your disbelief about these kinds of things. Right. And that's, they never go away. I can suspend my disbelief of these people talking to each other. Like I get it. But you can't have your cake and eat it too. Of like they're able to communicate, but they have such a poor grasp on grammar for some reason. Like it's just it doesn't work. And let's not even talk about Darmok. Good God. Well, so okay. How about this? How about this? Okay. The the Federation clearly hasn't encountered the Ferengi very much, if at all, so far. What if their translators are not calibrated correctly? All right. All right. I mean, what what am I going to say to that? That could work, right? That could work. It could work, but I would rather just not have to do this footwork by myself. (laughs) Because TNG dialogue has a lot of, like, stupid throwaway lines. Like, half the dialogue is characters on the bridge repeating what Picard tells them to do. You can throw in a line of, like, something explaining this. Like, oh, Captain, our translators are not properly calibrated for this race we haven't encountered. Um, whatever. Yeah, you could. Like, it's... It's this kind of, like... I don't want to say, like, fan theory, because it's not a theory, but... I find this stuff just to be so annoying, and more importantly, not at all satisfying as a viewer. I just, I just think they deliberately didn't didn't touch upon this at all because it's not really the point of Star Trek, you know. It's certainly not the point. It's certainly completely unimportant. But you know, um, the harder your science fiction gets, the less you're able to let this stuff go, right? Yeah, but I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say Star Trek's hard sci-fi. It can be, at certain times, I think. I mean, I, don't get me wrong. I definitely agree with you that that's, that's been a recurrent big hole through, you know, every series of Star Trek. Mm. And I think it's, it's one that a lot of people point to as being probably one of the series' biggest faults. But eh, to me, it's just like, it's not a big deal. I'm I not, don't know. I'm not going to say it's a big deal. It's certainly not. I'm not... I still watch the series, but I do, you know, just roll my eyes a little bit every time something like this happens. Right, um, right. But you're right. It is ridiculous to say, like, oh, this, you know, this show is bad because of this. Like, yeah, obviously not. Right. Yeah, no, I, I get it. But uh, <laughs> we're, we're not, we're not going to get rid of this issue. Like, this is going to come up several times over the course of this, uh, this podcast. I mean, it's um, it would be easier to accept... If I didn't have to keep hearing about it from fans, like, especially this episode in particular sparked, like, a huge issue of, of this nature. So, like, the, the fucking oh. Varangi uh, that communicates with them on the thing, his name, I don't even remember which one it is. It's either Daemon or Daimon. I think it's Daimon. Well, so, so, he says Daimon. Okay. But... Varangi says Daimon. But Picard says Daemon. Right. The Frangi very clearly says, I am Daimon. And then Picard's like, well, Daemon. And people, that one line, have pontificated and wrote about pages of digital ink trying to explain this discrepancy. Really stupid mm-hmm. fan theories, like, oh, you know, Ferengi culture, it's one, you say your name one way and other people say it another way because it's polite. Or, oh, the ship's communication screen was malfunctioning because their power was being drained. And Picard heard him incorrectly. Ah, <laughs> oh, Picard's French, so he can't pronounce things correctly. Like, it's, it's so dumb. It's like that ca- translator calibration thing. It's just like a yeah. lame fan theory to make it work. And it's like, I like the enthusiasm from people like this. Like, I appreciate it. I love it. But really, sometimes it's just not that cool. Like, sometimes Picard had a... Picard. Patrick had a fight with the writer and just pronounced it incorrectly despite him. You know? Yeah, the truth is yeah. is often stranger than fiction, you know, but you can't spend your life 
trying to explain these little inconsistencies. It's just not going to work. Yeah. I, I guess I guess that that does kind of you know again show how much legwork the fans do have to do sometimes to make this show consistent with itself. Enjoying Star Trek is a full time job. It is. It is, and you know that's that's why we're here to help. We are here right? to help. Yeah. Help vent, I guess. But man, anyway, anyway, I'm so, so far off topic. Yeah, wow, you really, you really had a had to go there. I was very angry. <laughs> I could tell. You heard me when we were watching it. Oh yeah. Oh, it, it was. That was a strange mistake. Just that, like the fact that you they they couldn't have made that consistent at all between the like, whichever one they did first, either that scene or the recording, right of the of the Ferengi captain, just make it consistent with itself. I, I don't see how that's difficult. It's not, but when the prevailing attitude on set, it's like, oh, this stupid sci-fi bullshit, who cares? <laughs> I feel like this happens a lot, actually. It did. It did. And, um, you know, with the benefit of streaming and on-demand viewing of these episodes, it's a much larger problem than it was when this would air, like, once a week and then never again for another few months. Right, right, yeah. People just wouldn't catch this stuff. Yeah. Um, okay, so anyway, they, they have their little chat, Picard and the Ferengi captain, and um, Picard convenes a meeting, I guess, right? Yeah, of of the of his crew, right? Yeah, they all yeah. they all go into the meeting room and stand awkwardly close together. Oh <laughs> yeah, that's oh yeah. Okay, you want to talk about this one? <laughs> It's it's just a really unfortunate story, I think. So, you know, if you watch the series for any amount of time, you'll be like, all right, so there's the bridge, there's the ready room, then there's like an observation deck slash meeting room on the left there, and that's often where the characters go to discuss the, the problem of the, the episode. You know, it's a lot like a regular boardroom. There's a big desk, a bunch of chairs, like a, a television screen to put up PowerPoint presentations, you know, whatever it is that they do. Mm -hmm. And... Mm -hmm. Except in this episode, where they go in, and all the characters are just huddled together in some tight shot, just standing there. And the camera's really Very pulled odd. in on them. Yeah, and we never see a shot like this again. And the reason no. is, they, we just didn't have the furniture there that to for everybody to sit and like have a wide shot. Uh, Gene had loaned it to the to the lot next door, because they were, you know, that soap opera needed like some kind of new set. So we're like, oh, just use our furniture, we're not using it. But, you know, a last-minute rewrite, we had to use that room, we had to find a way to use it, and thus we get this really awkward, tight shot of the characters within, like, a foot of each other's faces all discussing this Ferengi issue. And if you pull your mind's eye out and just picture a group of six people walking into a huge room, standing in a huddle, right by the door, and then leaving, it's, it's hilarious, I think. It is. It uh, is. Later on, like, yeah, we see the tables and stuff, they had to do a reshoot with, you know... Riker and Picard just to establish that yes, we still have these chairs, but man, I I, I giggle about it every time I see it because it's, it's it's just so unnecessary. It's it's such a forced shot of them to put in the show, you know. Just let it go. Yeah, you don't you, you don't need to have a shot this minute, you know. It's it's not always going to be worth it, but sometimes you just force it right. in there. Well, you know, and that's the cool thing. At least they were able to do the reshoot to mm. kind of salvage that situation. Um, I didn't even know about the reshoot until I watched the episode when it aired. Right, because I, I remember you saying, "Like, wait, we didn't we didn't have these at the time? What happened?" Right, right. It was it was a it was a whole thing. It was a whole debacle, really. Yeah. Um, and it really just goes to show that uh, <laughs> that opera being filled next door. You know, sometimes we actually uh, took advantage of it to great extent, but at other times it was really quite a hindrance. They took advantage of us. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I guess it was kind of a symbiotic relationship then, wasn't it? Yeah, symbiote circle. So, that's just show business, though. A bunch of parasites leeching off of one another. Right. So anyway, they convene this meeting. Uh, they go back, and like, only now are they beginning to get to the real thrust of the issue. Like, the Ferengi think that the Federation is sapping their power, and they're like, wait, we thought you were sapping our power. And like, oh my god. Is and I think it's Troy who's like, oh, it's the planet doing it. And I don't really know how she knew that. Was but, 
it was I think it was. I remember Troy yeah, said I, something, and we're like, "Why is the therapist it, remember, coming up with this?" I don't remember how they figured this out that it was the planet. But yeah, anyway, whatever. I mean, Troy's powers are always vague. Right. They work. They work when they need to. They don't work when they need to. You know. Yeah. Um. But. So anyway, okay. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I might have things chronologically mixed up. When do the when do the Chinese finger traps come in? Oh, no, don't do this. So <laughs> this this is another time where they convene a meeting, and this one is just with like Picard, Data, maybe Riker. Um. So they go have their meeting. They're all sitting at a table and. Uh, Data's telling them about like the power issue, I believe, like with how their power is being drained, or maybe mm-hmm. about the planet or something. Mm-hmm. But while he's well, doing... he's talking about something completely unrelated. Yeah. <laughs> while he's doing that, he's just playing with a Chinese finger trap, and now astute viewers will be like, "Okay, let me think about this." A Chinese finger trap. If you try to pull it away, it'll only lock you in tighter, and so you need to bring your fingers closer, and then. Then they can come out. And we have these two races that don't really see eye to eye. So I th- And they both have the same problem. So maybe they're going to have to work together. And the finger trap is an extended visual metaphor. No. It's funny because it almost works. Yeah, you would think that. And up until like the very end of the resolution of the conflict, is that a possibility, you know? Um, yeah. But it just doesn't go that way at all. And that's not at all why the finger traps are in the episode. Which is... <laughs> Because what happened was that Brent, Brent Spiner, just brought a box of Chinese finger traps onto the set. He's like, these are pretty cool, guys. Check them out. Remember, this was the 80s. The trends were different at the time. Um, And they caught on like wildfire. So much so that like in shots, characters would have, not characters, the actors would have their their fingers in these stupid traps and like trying to hide their hands behind their back just so it wouldn't show up on camera. And it became such an epidemic that we're like, we got to write this into the episode somehow. Because uh, if, if one of these pops up when it's not supposed to, it's going to look terrible. So we just put in this thing like, all right, Brent, you can play with your toy, do it on camera, explain what it is. And uh, that's why we get this moment of Data, the extremely strong, superhumanly strong android, <laughs> being trapped by a piece of paper. <laughs> It's it's too yeah. it's too ridiculous to to even accept by any by any metric. It's like no, it's it's definitely definitely stupid, incredibly stupid. And I think the it's fact that it's a bait stupid. and switch for for a metaphor is cosmically evil in how it worked out. You know, like no, it is, and like that's that, that almost seems like filmmaking one hundred and one. Like, don't do this. Right. It's like it's not exactly like the Chekhov's gun thing, but it kind of is. You know, if you introduce like a very, you know, it is very uh, obtuse element or obvious thing. You have to utilize it in some way. Right. And, and they bring it back at the end of the episode for like, I think it's Jordy. He's, he's, he's like at the console and he's got like his, his fingers in a finger trap. Yep. Yep. It, with, with that really strange shot. Yeah. That's just focused on his, his fingers kind of like to the left. Why? Why? Like, there are there are a lot of weird weird shots in this episode. Like 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 when that that one shot when when Data leans over. Oh no! And uh, he's talking about how you know oh lucky that we don't have to kill our second officers or right. whatever, right? Like I don't know what the 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 function of that line is. Is is that is that supposed to be levity for the audience or is it I, I don't know to... if it's levity or if it's like supposed to inform the audience of something they didn't know i have no idea just in case you guys don't know the federation is not run like a pirate ship where they just murder each other (laughs) really needed to establish that one yeah and uh well anyway getting back to the chinese finger traps this this really created an issue in terms of like suspension of disbelief right because we're supposed to accept that chinese finger traps are popular on a starship right several hundred years into the future you know this this goes back to to the 
justifications that we have to do because yes i can imagine where that that their replicator can produce a chinese finger trap but why would they you know why why would why? they why would yeah. they have the specifications of it why would anybody ask for one i can't remember the last time i saw a chinese finger trap in my life right it's just so <coughs> it's it's just it's so banal that like like why would these even come up why would these even be in there? I mean, obviously we know why they're in there, but the fact that they thought that this would be an acceptable solution is just wild to me. Get this. It's like, all right, you want to make the rationale that Data's studying humanity and thus he's going to, like, you know, explore some some relics of humanity. It's like, what makes a Chinese finger trap so special? It's like he's studying it. And it's like, all right, it's a toy. I'm done. You know? There's is not... it even Chinese? Well, that's a good. That's an excellent question. That that might be just some good old fashioned racism. It could be. Well, I mean, that would fit right in, wouldn't it? Would. It? it would. It would. It's a good observation. But um, so eventually they uh, they come to terms, some kind of terms with the Ferengi captain. You know, they're supposed to cooperate, right? Yeah. And they go down to the planet. The uh, who goes down to the planet? It's Worf, Riker, Jordy, Yar, Yar. And, and data and data basically everyone yeah it's a pretty big party especially because the ferengi like all right we're sending three officers down and the federation's like gang up on them send double that yeah that's kind of suspicious actually isn't it it is and like obviously none of these people trust each other and they're like all right but the federation is the one invested in winning their trust so i don't really get why yeah. they they want to do that that that, that struck yeah. me as very like not picard like to make that decision right yeah I, yeah you're probably right about that it's definitely not the first weird decision we've seen, but yeah. But they go down um, to the sh to the planet, and like everybody is mm -hmm. scattered because of like uh, some kind of power interference or something. The, the 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 places they sent everybody to be teleported didn't or beamed did not work out correctly. Right, right. And uh, they walk around exploring what looks like a an, an original series set. Yeah, <laughs> it it looks like the aggro crag. Some of the rocks are climbing around. <laughs> Just these, like, these these plastic crystals. I think that's a little, like, it looks more like styrofoam to me. Yeah, yeah, I know, that's, that's probably what it is. But, but I, I do not remember what they were made out of, but... But they look cheap, they, uh, and they look cheap today. They're absolutely cheap. I now, mean, at the time, the idea was like, oh, you know, you can't see that clearly on TV, so whatever. But with the advent right. of high definition, 4K, nothing, nothing is hidden. It's all laid bare. Yeah. And uh, we 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 see a lot of the series faults from from here on, even going forward. Yeah. In that the faults that, in our star uh, realm. Oh, nice. That was a good one. Thank you. So the both the Ferengi crew and the Enterprise crew are all scattered, and we we open on Riker, um, walking around looking for everybody, and one by one he finds his crew. Um, do you remember how he found Jordy? <sighs> Jesus! All right. I thought you'd have something to say. I need about to say this. this. I, I need to say this. Okay, to all the fans listening. All right, we know. We get it, all right. <laughs> right, the, the 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 racial allegory of Jordy quote hanging and getting whipped by the wealthy capitalists like you're not being clever. You're the billionth person to write in and yell at us about it. We, we got enough of that from Dayline. But screw it, you know I do it again. Sometimes networks need challenging programming, right? We're not here to spoon-feed you the same feel-good morals that you were getting on the Cosby show. It, TNG was not a cookie-cutter program, right? It often took risks like this, you know? Uh, that's that's one yeah. of the things we were most proud of. It, it was yeah. unfortunate that we aired directly after Roots, but, you know, I think that only hammered the message home more. No, honestly, it was it was the perfect decision. And if, if they wanted to not be challenged... In this kind of way, maybe the fans should have just stuck with the original series. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Just, man. 
I know you get the heated amount, up about this. The amount of mail we got, you know, <laughs> we were talking about the amount of mail we got from from the uh, the anti-capitalist messages, but this, you know, they compounded on one another. Just so sick of it. Just so sick of seeing those letters, man. It was a very controversial episode. It um, was. It was. People in the mailroom, like, got hired and uh, quit very rapid succession. It was just too much for them. There was there was a lot of turnover. We had a bit of a hiring crisis. You ever see, um, I think it's uh, Miracle on 34th Street, where Santa Claus is on trial, and they like bring in all these bags of letters to Santa Claus into the courtroom. It's like a bunch of guys I can't car- say I have. carrying big sacks of letters. Oh, well, it's not a very good movie, so don't worry about it. But um, if if you're familiar with that that visual, that's what the mailroom was like. Just bags and bags and bags of letters, you know, between black ball brands and like you racists, it was it never ended. <laughs> it was it was bad. Um uh, but anyway, let me digress, get off this topic, cool myself down a little bit. Riker Riker finds his crew, right? He does. He and, does. He uh, doesn't um get lost there and die. He does find the crew. Right. He does find the crew. And um they actually, they all get jumped by the Ferengi at that point, after they find Jordy. Everybody right? but Yar, I believe. Yeah, because Yar, he hadn't found Yar yet. She right. was kind of off doing her own thing. Um, and then, so they're taking so long because they got jumped by the Ferengi, and we're, we're, we're cutting back to the Enterprise now, right? And Yeah. We're seeing everyone in that in that little room huddled together with blankets and stuff because their energy's gone. Right, right. They're right. losing their life support systems. Mm-hmm. And uh, surprisingly, Wesley does not make an appearance. He's only mentioned by name. Yeah, because they were like, oh, we should... The discussion was whether or not to mercy kill Wesley so he, mm, so he wouldn't have to freeze right. to death. Right. And it's right. Crusher, um, Dr. Crusher, not Wesley, and Picard. Uh, they're treating all the people on the Enterprise. Picard's like trying to motivate them, whatever. Crusher's giving up blankets. And the conversation turns to Wesley. And she's like, oh, you know, I wanted to sedate him so he could die in his sleep. And Picard's like, no, he should face death head on. And then Crusher fires back with like, oh, that's a very male perspective. And this is like the line that launched a thousand huhs. Um, <laughs> and it, like, I get it. It's supposed to be like this counterweight to the chauvinism of the Ferengi. But really, it just ended up with Crusher looking like a huge bitch. <laughs> yeah, it was a. It felt like a complete non sequitur. It did. Because, like. The way it worked in the episode. And the thing is, like. Star Trek has always seemed like a, it's. It's supposed to be like a post-racial society and its equality, but it's also like a post—I uh, don't know—like gender role society, like to, right. to the point where things like feminism seem unnecessary because it, most people in the Federation would hold those ideals to begin with. Um, mm-hmm. So it's very weird to see this like uh, male versus female um, pitted against each other kind of attitude from any of them any of the cast it is really weird it's it's jarring it's just so strange it's such a strange interaction between these two and they're friends too so for one of them to just like well, bite the head off friends. the other yeah more than friends they're more than friends yeah where was this like male attitude criticism when she was begging picard to jump her bones in the ready room well and see maybe they oh the ready room nice Thank and you. that's that's maybe that's that's i don't know maybe it's supposed to show their you know intimacy to a certain degree right i guess you know if if because she is like taking a shot at the captain and you wouldn't do that if you weren't close to right like if we're making excuses for this line maybe that's what it's supposed to do but it feels very out of place in the moment it could have been like a bit of you know male guilt on the part of the writer it's like oh, could have been. Men do been. act I like mean, this. We're so men. Yeah, he 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 was after all a communist, right? So it right. makes sense that he would also be in line with kind of more 
progressive leftist feminist ideals. Yeah, absolutely. Huh, that's a good point. If he was, that that never made it into any of his boastings about how this episode came out. <laughs> Very true. So, you know, this cuts back to the to the planet. Yar shows up and apprehends the Ferengi. Um, kind of like, oh, you know, I have the phaser. And like, oh god, what do we do? And it it, it reaches this weird part where like they're both firing at each other like the enterprise crew shoots some phaser blasts at the frankie the frankie like use their electric whips at the at the enterprise crew yep. and yep. all of their shots are like ricocheting and flying around and nobody can hit anything because of like the energy structure of the atmosphere or whatever and mm -hmm. it's weird that that happens when just moments ago the ferengi successfully fired upon the enterprise crew but. Yeah, so so, and here's the thing, they actually do address this though. Do they? They say, <laughs> I may be paraphrase paraphrasing a bit, but I think they say, I think Yar says something has changed. Oh my god. Okay. Because they they themselves note that oh they were just whipping us before and now they can't whip us, and then Yar says that means something has changed. All right, good call. I I made the point earlier that in all the extraneous dialogue of the show that they should slip in some small explanations, and that's that's really what I want. So good beats, good. I cannot. Complain. Is it though? It almost it almost feels so cheap. Something has changed. Oh, it's certainly cheap, but I can at least accept some attempt at a rationalization, especially okay. like you know you can put some more pieces together when like this omnipotent like being shows up immediately after it's like all right this guy does seem like he'd have the power to change something yeah yeah and so let's let's talk about him because well what was his name so, morlock merlin um, <laughs> some yeah. wizard name uh, yeah. some wizard name i guess it, like so he was supposed to be was he artificial I don't know. So he first shows up like the like the Wizard of Oz, like a big floating face, or what's what's the guy yeah. from Power Rangers? The big floating head on Power Rangers. Why would you think I have ever watched Power Rangers? Okay, well, anyway, like that. Is there something thing. you want to tell us? No, no. What, you watch Power Rangers with your grandkids? <laughs> no. 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 Hmm. Hmm. And it, moving on. Um. So he's like this big floating head of energy that coalesces into like this form of a, of like a progressive rock band's keyboardist or a wizard. I'm not, I'm not really sure what he's supposed to look like. That's a great description. The makeup's terrible. It is. And the outfit's terrible. The prop that he's holding is terrible. It's um, clearly a young guy made up to look like an old guy. Do you know, you ever see those episodes where Brent Spiner plays Data's creator? Yes, yeah. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like a much worse version of that, and that wasn't like all that much great worse, to begin actually. with. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, and um, so this guy shows up, you know, looks like he owns a comic book store, and <laughs> he starts like lecturing these guys, like both races, the Ferengi and the, the Enterprise are all, um, they're barbarians, they're fighting, and despite the fact that he shows up with a weapon, and then he does like some um blinks the time cat fast forward shenanigans yeah oh oh man that was dreadful that was so bad looking it was really really bad and they've done this before remember in the, the naked now when data's like trying to put those microchips yeah. back in place they, yeah they loved speeding up footage they loved it and it never looked right and i don't think this really ever happens past the first season this kind of thing i don't think it does either uh, they do a the better job of um, visually conveying, like speed. Usually, they'll just, you know, do like cutaways rather than focusing on it with like a exactly extended yeah. fast forwarded yeah. shot. But anyway, um, yeah, and like he's one of many seemingly omnipotent beings that the that the Enterprise encounters over its long voyage. Mm-hmm. Actually, he's not and the first, because they already encountered somehow, Q. Yeah. Somehow, he's the least believable. Yes. I, it's, it's just... I think part of it is his look. 
part of it is how he like how he talks to Riker the commu- the conversation that they have at the end where he's well, just... I think the most of it is just the context in which he shows up it's like he's supposed to be a remnant of some ancient empire right and so the the conflict here is we have we have the Ferengi and the Enterprise crew facing down this I hesitate to call him a god because he almost seems like he was just made to guard the door he might feel like god right? of that planet rather than like an intergalactic okay omniscient being right um, but, but to me he was made to guard the door to something like like to the city or something like that's that's the impression that I got he's just some like low level like AI or something but they don't expand upon this at all we're just supposed to accept that he exists as he is and can control the entire planet somehow. Right. And because he's the one responsible being... for the the thing in space with their ships. Right. Despite being akin to a god, he refuses to accept that the the empire has been destroyed and that, you know, millions of years have passed. And this is this is the core conflict here is that this omnipotent possibly omniscient being is just being stupid right because data is giving him the, right. the exact information Fact. and and so go ahead the the ferengi and and the enterprise crew take turns talking to the guy trying to convince well it's mostly the ferengi trying to convince this guy that um the the enterprise crew or humans in general are untrustworthy, right? Mm. And um, first, first, I have to talk about the Ferengi. Okay. And I mean, you'll see this when you watch the episode, right? <laughs> they they were given this direction to like dance around like monkeys, right? Yeah, it, like they they could never stop moving. If you've ever seen the Wizard of Oz and like the way that those flying monkeys kind of hobbled around the set, there, it's almost exactly like that. It's almost, yeah. So they're climbing on stuff, flailing their arms around. And I really feel bad for them because filming was so brutal on them. It was a long like, day. Yeah, every take. I mean, they they had to jump and flail around to the point of exhaustion. And, like, in that heavy makeup and the costumes, mm. it's just unreal. I mean, you remember, we had to keep fanning them off and giving them water between takes. Right, right. Like, they yeah. needed constant yeah. tending to so they wouldn't pass out. Right, right, right. And it wouldn't have been so bad if not for Frakes. <sighs> yeah. Because Frakes, Frakes, <laughs> thought it was funny to keep flubbing his lines. He would, he would do it with just such a smirk on his face. like a Oh, lot. no, he was so smug about it. Right, and it was always directed at these at these Frangy, you know, background actors. <laughs> I don't know if he had something against them or what. I I think it but... was more of a display of power. Like I'm I'm the star on on this set. We're doing things at right. my pace. I could definitely see that. Um, but you know, on top of that, I'm sure he wasn't very happy with this episode to begin with. Right. You know, just the script and where it was going. So it may have been. You know, a little bit of a, you know, he may, he may have had like a little revolutionary kind of attitude here. Bit of a protest. Um, bit of a protest, right, right. But in any case, his mistakes kept us all there for <laughs> quite a few extra hours. Right. For really just a right. simple dialogue scene between him and uh, this this god-type character. Yeah, it, it really should not have taken as long as it did. And, I mean, the whole exchange was... It was the beginning of a pattern that would last through probably most of the show's run. Yeah, our our background, minor actors, they often got... We called it getting frakesed, you know. <laughs> yeah, well, you, you, yeah, got, you were there for ten hours, you got frakesed. You know, it's just yeah. it's just what he yeah. does. Um, back when, um, you know, we had some people join the main cast, like we, we added uh, Ensign Rowe to the cast. She got frakesed for several episodes. She got frakesed hard. Yeah, just as like a hazing type of thing. Um, yeah. I think she she may have been the worst, though. Because he was almost random with how he would apply this to the extras. Right. 
You know, I noticed but that. When, I mean, when Rogue came on, it was quite obvious that that was a, that was a power play. Some of, some of like the female extras, especially like the the better that they got along with Frakes in kind of extracurricular uh, sense, oh, yeah, um, yeah. the less likely they were to get Frakes is is how right. it ended up happening. Right. Um, yeah, I, I do recall that. It was a bit of an unspoken rule, such that we began warning. Um, you know our, our female extras as they came on. It's like oh, if you want this to go smoothly, you know you should right. You should be wary just, of of getting on Frakes' bad side. Or you, yeah, you just kind of you just kind of do what he wants. Right. Offset. And uh, if if he's placated, this will all go smoothly. And if he's not, right. we're gonna be here till three a.m. Right. I mean, lucky for us, most of the time he was placated. Right. Most of the time, but. Oh man, he was the only one who didn't get into the finger trap thing. Like everybody else was in pretty high spirits because they were having fun with the, the finger traps between takes, but Frakes just was not into it. And um, I guess he let us all know. <laughs> I guess he did. I, I know I had fun with it. Yeah, I mean it's we at the end of shooting. Um, I remember that somebody brought in like. They had a finger trap specifically made with the Star Trek logo on it as like a commemorable thing. Oh and yeah, yeah. If you remember, like we were all kind of fawning over it, and Gene, who did not approve of any of this, just kind of came over, took it, and ripped it in half. Um, yeah. Oh man, that was a loss, wasn't it? It was. It was brutal. Him and Frakes were the were the anti finger trap alliance going on. Well, he and Frakes were kind of at odds with a lot of the the rest of the cast for. Quite a lot of the time, actually. Right, and that's that's why Frakes was the one from the cast who directed the most episodes. Like, his alignment with Gene kind of put him in a good spot to be given those directorial positions when nobody else was. Right. Like, Michael right. Dorn really, really wanted to direct some episodes, but he just didn't have Gene's favor to, to get him on. Yeah. It's brutal. But, Very um... Brutal. Yeah, back to the episode. Keep getting off topic. They, uh, the Ferengi and the Enterprise counter this god. This god, like, sides with the Enterprise against the Ferengi, because the Ferengi are all, um, barbaric and, and conniving, whatever he says that they are. And then the episode kind of ends. Well, okay, okay, no, 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 no. You glossed over a very important bit of this conflict. Oh, yeah? Where first, first, the, quote, god decides to kill them all. Oh yes, yes. And he, he challenges did. Riker to the to the duel where we get that sped up footage, mm. and then Riker just recites some kind of platitude to him. He does, and all is resolved. Yeah, like he he rushes at him with this very very fast attack at incredibly high speed, and Riker just stands there because like I'm not going to be intimidated, and I'm also not going to fight you. And he's like he's like, there's nothing to fear but fear itself. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and the aliens just like, oh, what an interesting concept! And then he starts yeah? quoting uh, Sun Tzu, "Art of War." Yep, yep. He's like, uh, "What? What was it? What was the quote from that?" It's like, "If you know yourself and you know your enemy, you'll you'll never lose," or something like that. Something like that. And the gods like, "What an interesting uh, way of thinking." Yeah, yeah. And so somehow this just resolves everything. He lets he lets everyone go, and that's the end of the episode. That's it. That's how it gets resolved. Great episode. Great episode. Astounding. It's I think a... in terms of conflict, this has probably the worst payoff so far. I think it does, because the thing is, though, that this episode's very clearly written in a way that the conflict is not, like, the engrossing part of the episode. It's there's so much time spent on the ship, like pondering the situation, the the Ferengi, what to do. That like that is supposed to be where the intrigue is, like this right, str strange right. race, strange situation. What do we do? But a lot of it is just not captivating at all. It's um, not. No, they don't and, do a good job of it. And by the time that they do go to the planet, it's not really. That's like where the episode finally seems like it's beginning because it was such mm -hmm. a slow starter and 
obviously there's not a lot of payoff there either because there's not really supposed to be. We were, we're already supposed to be in, uh, engrossed in it. We're just not. And uh, yeah, so it feels like a 10-minute episode in a way because the, the 30 minutes le leading before it are just so nothing. Nothing happens, yeah. Right. And there really is no intrigue because we're introduced to the Ferengi pretty early on in the episode, I think, if I recall. It's one of the, I and, think the, the captain's log at the beginning is like, we're pursuing the Ferengi, like we're pursuing this ship. And like a yeah. few minutes so later, they're it's like, there. Not only, not only do they already kind of know who they are, we are introduced to the Ferengi pretty quickly. So we already kind of get a handle on them by the time they have the call. Right. And, and, and we see the guy in front of the white background. So yeah, there's really not that much intrigue here. It's, it's just really just such a, such a nothing episode. I mean, and over the course of the episode, you don't learn all that much about the Ferengi. Like, as soon as no. a few lines of dialogue are exchanged on the communications channel, you know everything you need to know. It, yeah, you, know, you they, know they like gold. You know they like gold. They got these sharp teeth. They're communicating like cavemen. Um, they're, and they're hostile. And that's it. That's, that's all you need to know for this episode. And nothing else is yeah. revealed. Nothing else is expanded upon. Yeah, that's all you get to know. <laughs> yeah. So, I think that's the biggest failure of uh, of this episode, like the mishandling of what could have been a tense moment with a with a new race. But yeah. Instead, it's just very very boring talks about nothing. Yeah. And you know, and you can you can see yeah, where you can see why the Borg ultimately replaced them right as the antagonist of the series. The Borg are threatening. The Borg are unknowable, and the Borg are right. interesting. The Ferengi right. are just... Are, yeah. Oh my god, the Ferengi are just comical. Right. Right. And, like, we were talking about the way those actors were directed to move in, in on the yeah. set. It's like, you can't have, like, a threatening race that bumbles around like literal monkeys. It just doesn't work. Right. Have you ever seen the, the episode with, like, that really dumb race of aliens that that the uh, Enterprise encounters. They're like probably so they're like really fat and really dumb, and what they do is they like pretend to be more helpless than they are because they're they're really stupid, but they do have weapons and they're like oh, you know Jordy, come help us fix our ship. We're too dumb. We don't know what to do. Oh yes, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's like imagine if they had tried to make that race into like a seriously threatening villain. Yeah, it kind of hits the same. Right, it just doesn't work. Um, yeah. I did like that episode, though. That one. The I don't even know what season yeah, it was. Yeah, it wasn't bad. But yeah, the, the Frankie just don't work. Um, and if, no. if they had done something like the, like the Chinese finger trap, um, allegory we were thinking of of like let's mm -hmm. learn to work together with this more barbaric race that could have been interesting but it, it actually could have yeah yeah but it, this, this is not where it went they went down the worst possible route yeah i mean all in favor of making these guys the antagonists but again just the way they're portrayed just does not work at all so and it, so the at the at the end of the the conflict the god guy is like, oh, should I kill these Ferenki? And Riker's like, no, you know, they won't learn anything that way. Let them live. And you can't have your first run-in with um, a, a, a villain be with, with <laughs> you having like an... Sparing them. Yeah, you have such an, uh, a unilateral, clearly decided victory over them that you, yeah. you would not feel bad. You'll feel threatened encountering them again. Compare that to the first yeah. time they met the Borg, where you know the Enterprise had to run away and barely escaped. And oh, that was terrifying. Yeah, because it ends with them knowing, like, okay, now the Borg know that we're out here. Now they're coming for us, and we don't have a plan. Yeah. And that's the end of the episode. Like, that's a completely right. different tone. Yeah, baby. Well, yeah. Do you have anything else? Any any final thoughts on uh, the last outpost? Um, well, you know, all I can hope is eventually we get to a good episode, Mitch. Yeah, eventually. One is out there. Join us in our continuing quest to explore the next generation in hopes of finding a watchable episode. Um, but until we find it, everybody, stay ready. Here.
Beginning, 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 beginning. 